There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Kix headlines the M3 Rock Festival tonight to officially reopen Meriwether Post Pavilion. I spoke with Brian Damage Forsyth about the band's humble beginnings in Frederick, Maryland. Yeah, I grew up in Frederick. I ended up in Hagerstown later on after I uh, after the band formed. Gotcha. And, and where about in Frederick did you live? Well, I started out in in the in the six back in the sixties, <laughs> uh, up um, up near Braddock Heights, and then then we ended up in Figueville for a year or so, and then uh, finally settled up in like the Rocky Springs area. Remind us how you guys actually formed in Hagerstown. How did you meet Steve Whiteman and, and Donnie Purnell and, and the rest of them? Well, it was kind of like a long drawn out process, but. Uh, it started out in actually in Frederick. I ran into Ronnie because uh, I, I knew Ronnie through other bands. I used to go see his other bands play, his bands play, and and uh, we didn't go to the same high school, but I knew of him, and I'd met him a few times. So I heard that he was leaving his band at that time. So I was trying out for his band to take his place. Um, and one night at, in Frederick at a 7-Eleven, I ran into him and he told me about this band that him and Donnie Purnell were putting together. And he, and he talked me out of um, joining his, other, his old band. <laughs> he goes, oh, you don't want to play with those guys. They never rehearse and they never learn any new songs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's sort of how it started. You know, Ronnie just approached me out of the blue like that, which was really cool. Um, and then we got together at my parents' house there in Frederick first. It was just uh, Ronnie, Donnie, me, and then another Donnie, uh, Donnie Spence on drums. And we ended up going through a few different singers over the next couple years. We finally got Steve around 79. Uh, and then soon after Steve, we replaced our original drummer with Jimmy. So... You know, it, it, it took a while. So it wasn't until the end of 79 until we had the full lineup. Then by that point, we uh, ended up relocating up into, um, by the time we got Steve, we were in Hagerstown. So that's how we ended up there. Gotcha. So you said that was around like 79. And then Atlantic signed you in like, I think it was 81 for the self-titled debut album, Kicks. Um, yeah. How did that, how'd that deal come about? You know, you're playing in Hagerstown. A lot of people wouldn't think you could, you know, land a record deal in freaking Hagerstown. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were playing other places besides Hagerstown. I mean, we, we actually got uh, the, the A&R guy from Atlantic came down to a club in Waldorf, this place called the Stardust. But the, the way we got that was we, we, we uh, hooked up with, the, with uh, Face Dancer's manager, this, this band Face Dancer from Baltimore that had a, a record out on Capitol. 
So we thought, well, what? we'll get his their manager. That way he can get us a record deal. And sure enough, he did. And the way he did it was he would take these... Uh, our sound man would record the show every night from a cassette deck on the soundboard. He would just stick a cassette tape in and record the show. And our manager uh, started taking those tapes and he would just stick them in an envelope and send them off to different record companies. And Atlantic was the, the first one that, uh, well, actually the only one <laughs> that responded. And they sent the guy down to Waldorf to see us live. And uh, like within like a week or two, we were, we were doing a showcase up in New York City for the, for the label. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so you had your, your debut album. Um, how do you think you guys evolved from that to, you know, your second one was Cool Kids, and then Midnight Dynamite, your third, was probably the one that you really, really blew up in. But how important do you think that period was of you guys sort of, you know, finding yourselves in, in, until you finally really exploded there with Dynamite? Yeah, it was kind of an evolution. <laughs> uh, you know, because early, like 1980, because most of the, the songs on the first record were, were written, well, well, here's a little tidbit. When Ronnie, Donnie, me, and the uh, the original drummer got together for the first time, it was December 1977, in my parents' basement, the very first song we worked on and played together was Atomic Bombs. So, you know, all those songs for the first record were written from, like, that point through 1980. And, you know, at, at that time, during the music scene, it was like, punk rock and uh, new wave and there was you know some rock bands too there's like cheap trick and some you know Aerosmith was still around but um, you know that was the influence back then on that record so each record was influenced by just a little further into the 80s and and plus you know by the time we got to uh, Midnight Dynamite Donnie's songwriting was maturing he was just getting better every time. Every album got better and better. And um, so by the time we hit that, it was almost like uh, we sort of found our identity, I think. we The first two records, we were kind of fishing around trying to find it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, of course, I mean, everyone remembers the big power ballad, Don't Close Your Eyes. That was on the fourth one, right? That was blowing my fuse. Um, yeah. You know, you had had hits before that and everything, but I feel like that that's the one you'll still hear on, you know, if they do those, you know, best power ballad collections of the 80s, you'll hear that one sometimes. But do you remember where you were when you first heard that thing on the radio or, or just your general reaction of seeing that song blow up? Well, um, yeah, I don't remember where I was when I heard it, but uh, I know that um, we we were kind of at the end of the cycle. Like we'd already put out... Uh, what was it cold blood um get it while it's hot and blow my fuse uh, videos off of of that record and the record company was actually already done with it and and had told us that it was time to move on and start thinking of the next record and uh we just we were on the um, tesla great white tour at that point it was right at the end we you know we were going to come off the road and then start working on another record and their manager, uh, Great White's manager, Alan Niven, who's also Guns N' Roses' manager at the time, heard us playing that song every night. And after one of the shows, he comes up. Our, our manager was there that night, too. And he goes, how come that, that's not a single? And our record, or I mean, our, our manager said, well, the record company said they're, they're, uh, they're not putting any more money into this record. It's time to do another record. And, and, 
and Alan Niven said, well, they'd be crazy not to release that. And I, I guess our manager had already asked them and they turned it down. So, so Alan Niven says, you mind if I ask him? And he had, you know, at that time, Guns N' Roses is huge. So he actually called Atlantic and, and told them they'd be insane to not release that song. And uh, so they took his, his advice and they, had, they released it. And I remember when it, when it started to build, it was, because um, we had released a bunch of different songs by that point and, and they'd always come out and they do okay, but you know, it, it never like took off. And this one started taking off and it was like, I couldn't believe like the list of radio stations that it was being added to. It was, it was really cool to, to watch that happen. And we got all the way to number 11, <laughs> not quite top 10, but, but still, I mean, that is so cool. That's so cool. And thanks for that story. I didn't realize that, you know, it was sort of an afterthought of, you know, like the fourth or fifth single you even put out on that. That's, that's a cool story. Well, that also goes to show you that, you know, half the time the record company has no clue. They're just sort of, I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> well, you know what, if it was a science that every song would be a hit, you know, so there's a bit of weird organic magic to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, you close out the 80s on a bang with that. And then when you're moving into the 90s, you got, you know, you did Hot Wire. And then I feel like I remember there was like a, a live album. Didn't you record it in, in College Park? My, my alma mater, University of Maryland. Yeah, yeah, it was College Park. Memories of that show down there? Was it at Cole Fieldhouse or where did you play it? Yeah, that's where it was. Um, yeah, I remember that very clearly. We did, um, we actually shot two videos before the show, like after soundcheck. We did... Um, we did the video for Hotwire and a video for Rock and Roll Overdose. And then, and then we had to do a concert after that. And, and I don't know if you've ever experienced like somebody shooting a video, but it's like take after take after take after take. So, I mean, by the time we got done through, do, doing two videos, I know myself personally, I was like completely worn out. And then I had to come out and do a show. <laughs> so it was a little bit rough. And I think we had had a a two week break right before that. And that was like the longest break we'd had in, in several years. So, you know, not only were, were we worn out from doing those videos, but we also weren't like, we were sort of out of the, of the, the routine of, of playing like every single week. So, you know, we had to sort of, I don't know. I, I felt like it was a little sloppy, but it came off. It, it came off pretty well on the record. Well, I mean, yeah, we we could go through all of your all your albums and concerts, but I guess uh, the main thing, at least in recent years, locally before COVID hit, you know, Kicks was a mainstay at, at Merriweather at that M3 Rock Festival they did every year. Um, just memories of of why that became such an annual uh, deal for you all. Um, well, uh, for one thing, it's kind of like the hometown town crowd. Uh, when we first started. I think they were only doing, uh, they didn't have Fridays yet, I don't think, when, when it first started. Or if they did, I don't remember. We were just sort of lumped in, you know, with all the other bands. And then we were doing so well, like, we would go on and the place would just be, like, everybody would flood in there. And then when we got done and the next band goes on, people would start leaving. <laughs> and, and I think they noticed that. And so they ended up putting us on Friday, like headlining the Friday night uh, slot from then on. So we've been doing it pretty much, I think, from the beginning, we've been doing that every year. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I remember every time they put out the, you know, the, the, the headliners there, you guys are always there. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's definitely kept you guys, you know, the, the name kicks around locally for, for a while now. Cool. Well, I mean, that sort of brings us to present day. Um, how much has COVID sort of sidelined your, your tour dates? Well, yeah, I mean, we pretty much stopped playing mid-March and, um, and we hadn't like, you know, our calendar was full before all this stuff happened and uh, little by little you know first march and april they all those shows got shoved into june and july and and beyond and then the the closer we'd get to each one of these months the 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 shows kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed we did a private event in july and then we did uh labor day weekend we did a show outdoor show then we did a small club in outside of Baltimore at one point. Well, it'll be nice to see you guys back out there. I'm sure. I'm sure the muscle memory is still there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know you said you're living in Nashville now. Um, how cool is it though? Whenever you get a Frederick gig pop up and you say, you know, no way, that, you know, that's where I grew up. You know, but how 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 satisfying is that for you? Get maybe get some of the hometown crowd to come out, drive up in their cars, and, and watch the show at Frederick. It's really cool. I mean, we, we don't actually play Frederick that often because there's not really anywhere to play. So, I mean, most of the time we play Maryland, it's, it's like, uh, well, closest to Frederick, I think, is Brunswick when we do those shows. But uh, Very, very cool. And I assume at Merriweather, at, I don't want to spoil the set list entirely, but I assume we'll hear all, all the hits from over the years. Yeah, you'll hear, you know, we're, we're trying to mix it up a little. We've, we've sort of, because uh, we, when we find a, a good running order for the set list, we, we stick to it most of the time and just switch out a couple things here and there. But, but um, these, these last few shows we've done, we've flipped the, the set list inside out. So it's like, you know, the songs aren't where people expect them to be. So and and we've we've brought back you know a couple that we haven't done in a while so it, it'll be good awesome man well we're looking forward to it um again everybody it's friday night with kicks get your tickets now uh thanks so much for joining us man i, I really appreciate it yeah my pleasure and, and one last thing before we go i should mention that uh we're re-releasing midnight dynamite uh, oh, cool. but so it's people be can come hear some of those songs uh, this weekend, and that'll that'll be the perfect way to tee up uh, getting the re-release. Thanks so much. I, I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, I think this will be a, a cool interview for especially people that you know grew up around here and riding around listening to WTOP. When they hear kicks, their ears are going to perk up a little. I think so. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks. All right, take it easy. All right, bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.